Action Network Podcast. 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 If you are even remotely a savage, you'll run these people over in a second. What's up, everybody? Welcome in to the Action Network podcast presented by BetMGM. I'm your host today, Brendan Glasheen, joined by Sean Zarillo and Billy Ward. That means a UFC betting preview. Uh, please subscribe, rate, and review because every Friday we're here. Myself, Sean Zarillo, Billy Ward giving out some underdogs, props, and best bets around the UFC weekend. This weekend, UFC Mexico at CDMX in Mexico City. We'll weave our way through. If you're new to the podcast, uh, we've been around now a couple weeks for this year, for this year's uh, cards. And uh, we'll hit the main event, fight of the night for Sean and Billy, find some dogs, find some props, and then leave with the best bet, final bet. You know the inside joke at this point if you uh, have tuned in already. So without further ado... The Battle of the Brandons, Brandon Moreno, Brandon Roy Val, Sean Zarillo is the featured uh, main event. Uh, looking at the line, how would you evaluate the line? And then how would you like to bet the fight? Two, these two fought in the past. Uh, mm-hmm. Roy Val had his shoulder dislocated. The fight ended early as a result of that shoulder dislocation. But I think since they last fought, Moreno has made the more substantial improvements as a fighter. And I think he has the advantage pretty much everywhere in this matchup. He's the better striker, both the better boxer and the better kicker. Um, He's the much better wrestler. And I think that's the biggest key to this fight. When he decides to wrestle, when he decides to offensively wrestle, I do think he can hold Roy Val down for extended stretches or just land multiple takedowns in each round. The problem with Brandon Moreno, and I should also mention he's super durable. He's a more durable fighter uh, as well. So, You know, the physical advantages, the skills advantages, technique, I think all favor Moreno. Roy Val's advantages, reach advantage, and volume potentially over 25 minutes if they just strike it out. I think he could potentially pull away on volume over Moreno. But when Moreno decides to wrestle, I think he's going to look like a big favorite in this fight once he gets on top. And Roy Val struggles to defend takedowns, 40% takedown defense in the UFC. The one issue with Moreno is fight IQ. And he doesn't always give himself the easiest path to victory or follow the path of least resistance. I think there's a chance that he strikes this out longer than he should, where if he does, as I said, proactively wrestle, I think he's going to have an easier time of it and cover his price. So to me, uh, this matchup, Moreno, if he wrestles proactively, should look like a minus 400 favorite or more. I projected his line at minus 320. I think he's a safe parlay piece. Anything minus 300 or better probably even considered laying it too. Uh, in terms of other value on this fight, the fight to go over three and a half rounds to reach a decision. We'll talk a little bit more about the elevation later and the cardio dynamics of some of these fights. And, you know, my skepticism of betting fights to reach a decision as opposed to betting them just to go over, because I think we could see some finishes on this card that happen in the final couple minutes of these fights. But in terms of the main event, like Brandon Marino is a parlay piece, parlayed him up with another piece in the next fight that we will talk about. So they'll get to that in a moment. And then one other favorite I like on this card, Ferris DM, I'm considering parlaying Marino with him too. Uh, probably not going to get to that fight later. So I'll just talk about it briefly. ZM against Poyas. Poyas, I think like Roy Val, it's like a 10 to 20% chance. You know, they, they have to meet their win condition of finding a finish inside the distance. 
play as a knee bar specialist. There's a chance he could get it in a scramble. But other than that, I think Zam wins the fight. And I think with the Moreno fight, other than Royval hitting something, finding a guillotine, finding a moment where he stuns Moreno, hurts him, is able to finish the fight. I think Moreno is largely winning minutes and controlling the pace here. So Moreno, as I said, you could parlay him up to about minus 300. I think he's pretty safe for Saturday night. Your analysis just brought me back to last last summer when you parlayed a piece of UFC with the London series in baseball. I was wondering if you were going to bring up the Dodgers or the Padres in a spring training game uh, as a parlay combination. But Yeah, not quite ready to parlay some spring <laughs> training games yet with uh, these lineups we get thrown out there. But maybe later on in the spring, by the time we get to the next pay-per-view, maybe we'll have a, uh, a UFC baseball parlay going on. I'm going to hold you to that. Uh, I couldn't help it. Um, Billy Ward authors the UFC Luck Ratings over at Action Network, actionnetwork.com. And Billy, uh, you identify, uh, you, you you have an identification on this fight based on the line that uh, Roy Vall is slightly undervalued. Right now, uh, looking at the sportsbook, uh, BetMGM, Roy Vall right around plus 220, uh, Moreno minus 290. So are you still in the same boat with Roy Vall being undervalued? And I guess that sort of counters Zerillo, but not quite. Yeah, I mean, it's not it's not a strong take. I think this one is pretty close to right. We're going to talk about the elevation a lot here. We're also going to talk about all these fights. There's three fights on this card that are rebooked because something weird happened at a different event that they're bringing back. This one, you know, Moreno was winning the first fight. He wasn't dominating. He wasn't about to finish him or anything. But, like, he was looking better than Roy Val. I think the one thing that Roy Val has going for him is he's a little bit more aggressive. He hunts the finish a little bit harder. He's coming forward more. If he's going to win, I think he's going to do it inside the distance. He almost has to. So getting that at plus 400, if I had to bet this one, honestly, if this weren't a main event, I probably wouldn't really be betting it or talking about it at all. I think the books are more or less right. I do want to point out, it's a little bit interesting with the cardiodynamic at elevation. Roy Val trains in Denver at Factory X. Moreno trains in Las Vegas at sea level. But... Moreno was originally supposed to fight a different opponent. Roy Val's coming in about four or five weeks notice. That's not super short notice, and you can get in cardio shape in that time. But is he going to be five rounds at, you know, 7,000 feet elevation cardio in four or five weeks? I don't know. So it's more of a, if you think Roy Val's going to win it, it almost certainly needs to be inside the distance. And that's before we even talk about how the judges are going to respond to the Mexican fighters here, which we have to assume that, you know, Moreno does anything, the crowd's going to lose their mind. That's going to influence the judges. We're going to talk about that with, I think, a couple other fights as we get down the stretch here. So all those factors, don't love the bet, but, you know, it's a little bit sprinkle at plus 400. Roy Val inside the distance, that should be closer to his money line. I'm glad you brought up the short notice, Billy, because Pantoja, or I should say Roy Val also fought Alexander Pantoja at UFC 296, which is in mid-December. So if he didn't immediately go back into camp after that fight, then he took this fight on short notice. How much did he actually train in the past eight weeks? So it's not not only the short notice nature, he also had a fight two months ago, uh, mm-hmm. you know, and then took a fight on short notice. Like I said, if he didn't get right back in the training room, how much has he really trained you know, in the past eight weeks? Although I will say my assumption is always, and this is probably overfitting my personal experience, that coming off a loss, guys are going to be right back mm-hmm. in the gym. Mm-hmm. Coming off a win, they're probably going to take some time, celebrate, you know, catch those fight of the night performance bonuses all that so i'm not entirely worried about it because it's not like he took it last week he had four or five weeks Mm -hmm. but yeah it's a good point that that's another factor you know if he was banged up even if he wanted to train he might not have been so there's a lot going into it Uh, just before that fight uh we've got yair rodriguez and brian ortega the fights are streaming this week on espn plus uh in mexico city so get the nap in on saturday if you want to stay up late if you need the nap on the east coast 
Uh, okay, so Zarillo, Rodriguez, the favorite at minus 150, Ortega plus 120 on the money line. Same question. How do you identify what you might like in the fight? And based on that, it, that probably comes from how do you see the fight unfolding? Yeah, another fight that, you know, previously happened, ended via injury. I was at the fight on Long Island. Uh, this was headlining the card. And that's why this fight is booked for five rounds, because these two were supposed to have a main event last time. The winner will probably get Ilya Taboria in Spain for the featherweight title. So definitely some big implications here uh, between Rodriguez and Ortega. Yair is the better striker, Ortega the better grappler, and I do think this is a pretty binary fight. Not that Ortega can't strike, but his striking defense is horrible, and he seems to not be reacting as well to absorbing damage as he was earlier in his career. I mean, he used to be a Mexican zombie. Like, he he was TKZ and just looking to walk through damage and eventually get his hands on people and finish them with the grappling. Now, the way that first fight did play out with Yair and Ortega... Yair was piecing him up in the first round, but Ortega eventually got his hands on him and it seemed like he was winning the clinch positions, took Yair down, seemed like he was going to progress and win the round from there, but he got hurt via injury. And you could give Yair credit or not for the submission. Didn't seem like it was something that fully locked in, seemed like more of an accident. But regardless, uh, I do think this is fairly binary. I like it to end inside the distance because it is going five rounds at elevation. Minus 200 on that prop. I think you could parlay that with Brandon Moreno in the main event. I think that's a fine, even money parlay to pair together. But I also like Ortega by submission at plus 375. I don't really get the pricing on his knockout prop. His knockout prop is sitting much closer to his submission prop than I think it should be. It's like plus 650, plus 700. His submission prop's about plus half, you know, half that. I'd make his sub prop closer to plus 250. I'd put his K prop over 10 to 1, 11 to 1, 12 to 1. Uh, ground and pound TKO, the only way he's getting that done. But other than that, I think he has a big grappling advantage in this fight. And I think if he gets Yair to the ground, I think he's going to find ways to finish. So Ortega by submission plus 375 is the best number I found. You could also consider betting him inside the distance. I just think the sub prop is a better number. And then, as I said, the fight to end inside the distance at minus 200. If Ortega doesn't get the submission or as he's trying to enter to get takedowns to find submissions, I think he's going to absorb a lot of damage get beat up, maybe take a head kick, get knocked out. Yair definitely has better kicks than he does hands. So maybe that actually helps uh, Ortega to a degree in terms of getting in closer, getting those entries. Just not sure how he is, you know, in terms of his durability to the body as opposed to the head. We've seen him absorb like thousands of head strikes and not go down. Maybe he eats one or two liver kicks here and folds. Uh, We just haven't seen his body get hit nearly as much as we have to the head. So, like I said, binary and inside the distance, but Ortega to win it via submission. Okay. And Rodriguez does have a slight height advantage, Billy. Uh, and knowing this is a five-round fight, uh, how do you break it down, and how would you like to bet it? Yeah, this is a really interesting fight. To counter what Sean was saying about the discrepancy between submissions and knockouts, I that was my read on it early as well. But Ortega has just as many TKOs in the UFC as he does submissions. He's not, you know only diving for subs. He'll get top position, beat you up. I think it's more likely that he gets a submission for a lot of reasons, but I don't think it's all that crazy to see him finishing it. With that said, if he finishes it, it's on the ground. It's through grappling. It's just what that result ends up being. Very interesting fight. They're kind of like mirror images of each other in a way where Ortega's striking defense is to just walk forward and try to hit you back. And Yair's wrestling defense is to let you take him down and try to throw up a submission. 
where neither of them are really interested in stopping what you're trying to do. They're just trying to pose enough of a threat that you can't do it. On paper here, I think Ortega's style is actually kryptonite for Yair Rodriguez. Mm-hmm. Rodriguez likes to kick. He needs space. He's a taekwondo guy where they like to operate at range and throwing out long stuff. Ortega's just storming forward the whole fight, trying to get in your face. Doesn't really care if you hit him, just trying to make contact. Takes you down. Yair doesn't really defend that. That's on paper. With him being out 18 months with that torn shoulder, I have my concerns with that, which is why I'm not betting Ortega's money line. But I do. I think I trust his his durability here. You know, we haven't really seen him take any bad knockouts. His striking differential is horrible if you look at the stats. A lot of that is from fights with Max Holloway and Alexander Volkanovsky, who do that to everyone. You know, but he's never really been knocked out. He has a doctor stoppage or a corner stoppage, one of the two, and then a shoulder injury. So my favorite bet on this, if you can find it at certain books, is the finish only market on Brian Ortega, which it gets refunded if it goes to the judges. I think like we're talking about with the Mexican fighters, judges probably favor Yair, kind of no matter what happens here, but they probably should because he's going to do more striking where Ortega's going to get takedowns, hunt for subs, maybe not get them. And then about MGM, Ortega inside the distance at plus 200. I'm fine if you want to take the longer uh, odds on the submission. It makes sense as well, but I'd rather just get the two to one and cover myself if there's a ground and pound. Yeah, I should clarify. So I took a sub prop at plus 375. The the best available price beyond that was plus 340, and I actually saw as low as plus 280. So it, it really depends on the price. Like if it's mm-hmm. if it's plus 200 versus plus 280, take the plus 200 all day on the inside of the distance. Getting nearly double the price on the sub, yeah. I thought was a little bit too much. Even, you know, plus 340, I think there's enough of a discrepancy to play it. So just it depends on, you know, the the gap in the numbers, uh, you know, and how far apart it is. Like I said, if it was plus 280, I would be on the plus 200 instead. Always important to bring up the price. The uh, the yeah. money has come in on Ortega throughout the week, uh, opened around plus 135, plus 140, so that number has come down, his money line price. Quickly, on both fights, uh, the flight weight, um, the flyweight and the featherweight, uh, the ones we just discussed, no live angles. Just curious if you guys identify any value because I know we hit live betting quite a bit last week. Any thoughts on that? Yeah, any- I, you know, I might be interested in Ortega live. Uh, if Yair wins the first round, it – as this fight extends, Yair will slow down a little bit, and it'll just create more opportunities for Ortega to get his hands on him and grapple him. You know, they're in the bigger cage. Yair has great footwork. He's very fast. He's a really good kickboxer. And just, you know, with the first fight that played out, when they were at distance, when Yair could kick him from range, Ortega looked like he was in trouble. But the closer he got, you know, Yair wasn't able to kick as freely because he didn't want to get a kick caught and get taken down. So just watch the way that fight plays out. I do think Ortega is going to have moments. He had moments against Volkanovski, even though he was mostly getting beaten up. Those happened in the third or fourth round. So Ortega finds ways to threaten his opponents. He's continually losing fights. You just go back through his UFC run, continually losing the first two rounds, finishes his opponents in the third round. So yeah, if Ortega's price grows, you know, after round one, after round two, He's an opportunistic finisher. I think he's going to have moments. So definitely would be interested in an entry on Ortega Live. Uh, Marino Rival, I guess, given the short notice nature, probably more interested on Marino Live. Maybe after round one, if that price moves in at all. You know, you can get minus 150 on Marino after he loses round one, something like that. I'd be interested, but not as uh, aggressive there. I think more so Ortega just because of the, the dynamics of how he usually fights and the way he uh, doesn't give up on himself and usually finds a way to threaten his opponent at some point. Anything to add, Billy, on the live betting component? Yeah, and this is a big, you know, if I'm able to stay awake and uh, lucid this late into the night. But I like the main event. 
I don't have a plan going into it, I don't think, but it's one of those where I could certainly see a situation where Roy Val looks fresher just because he trains at elevation. He's used to that. I could also see where the short notice and the recent fight make him not look the case. So if you can really be on it and look at the body language and look how the guys are doing and maybe catch a you know round that swung the other way or a price that swung the other way, I think that's a good one. Can't give you any kind of strategy going in, but that's one you kind of know it when you see it. And again, keep in mind, if you see a big price on Moreno because it looks like he lost a couple rounds, he might not have actually lost those rounds. So that's another one. Like if we if it looks like it's going to the judges – then you can get a big price on Moreno. That's that's where I think I would be on that. Yeah, I mean, watch like watch how the rounds play out too. Like you know, the the fluffy Hernandez Roman Kabalov fight last week, which I Billy and I both said about live. Billy had Kabalov pre fight, but he loved the live angle. Hernandez won the end of round one. Uh, he was grappling Kabalov at the end of round one, and he was minus one ten after round one. I mean, I thought mm-hmm. he should have been minus two hundred at that point. I think he might have even won round one on the scorecards. I don't think he should have won round one. I thought Kabalov's body kicks did better work, but. The flow yeah. of the fight, I thought Hernandez should have been like way more juiced up than minus one ten at that point, even plus money. There was another fight on that card as well that we said about live, where the fighter might have actually won round one, and you were getting a better price after round one. Uh, it, oh, it was Marab. Marab didn't win the first mm-hmm. round, but you got like minus one ten on Marab, or even plus money on Marab after round one. So, yeah, these live angles, uh, I think the markets continue to be mispriced, and I think it's the best way to bet this sport. And we'll get to it with my best bets later because I think it's the best way to bet on this card. Oh, excellent tease, Zerillo. Okay, uh, before we get there, this podcast is proudly presented by BetMGM. Use bonus code ACTION when signing up to get up to $158 in bonus bets when you bet $5. For new users in Arizona, Colorado, Illinois, Indiana, Iowa, Kentucky, Louisiana, Maryland, Massachusetts, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, and Wyoming. Terms and conditions apply. Must be 21 or older. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Let's uh, discuss this week a consensus underdog yeah. from Billy and Zarillo. Flyweight prelim. Go ahead, Zarillo. Who is it? It's always funny when I hear you say Billy Zarillo because that's my my uncle's name. Uh, so it's, it's weird <laughs> oh. when we, we combine those together. It throws Sean me off. and Billy. <laughs> uh, yeah, Victor Altamirano. Uh, you know, Billy and I have a separate process, right? We have a shared document where we put our picks in, but I try not to look at it until I've finalized my card or at least like finalized my picks for the podcast. And sometimes I'll open it up and we're on opposite sides of the fight. And I'm like, all right, you know, cool content. Other times I open it up and we have the same pick and the same underdog pick. And that really excites me because it means we've arrived at the same conclusion in a different way. And I think both of us are going to say one very key point here, which is that Felipe Dos Santos is overrated because he overperformed on short notice in his UFC debut. I think Billy would 100% agree with that point. This is something that we see constantly. Guys who come in on short notice as big underdogs and then overperform against a good opponent in their UFC debut but lose tend to be more heavily favored in their next fights than I think they should be. And if Dos Santos hadn't had that performance against him now cap in the UFC. If you're only evaluating him off of that regional tape that he has, Altamirano would be favored here because his regional tape was horrible. Uh, and he doesn't defend strikes. He has absolutely no striking defense. He's really fun to watch. Uh, he's the type of guy who's going to secure performance bonuses or be in multiple fight of the nights because he has no attention to defense. He's purely offensive. He just comes forward. He's extremely aggressive. I think both of these fighters have bad takedown defense. I think either one can get on top. 
for long stretches. But I think of the two, Altamirano is just a much better defensive striker. He has more UFC experience. The thing that worries me is the age differential, and Dos Santos likely improving. He's 23. Altamirano's 33. I believe the average age for the division is 31. So the age differential stat definitely scares me. But the UFC experience of Altamirano, the quality of his wins, the defensive striking, we've seen him in wars before too against guys like Daniel Lacerda where he was able to weather the storm, work his way back into the fight, come back. He's generally a pretty durable guy. So Victor Altamirano here, I think, just has plenty of ways of making this a competitive 50-50 fight, getting plus 240 against the guy who hasn't really proven at this level. I think it's a very juicy number. I think of uh, the Shane Gillis screenshot when he puts his head down like this. When you both have the same pick and uh, you open up the podcast doc on Friday morning when we record. Um, Billy, I read your luck ratings write up, and the first sentence of Billy's write up uh, to support Victor this is a line I truly don't understand. That is an attention grabber sentence. Echo uh, Zarillo's sentiments, please, if you may. Yeah, well, to Sean's credit, he made me understand it a little bit better by getting into the. Uh, <laughs> The moral victory his last time out. But, you know, we don't get performance bonuses. We don't get win bonuses. Our bets don't cash based on moral victories. That's not not how any of this works. Um, I'm glad he brought up the fight with Daniel Lacerda, who I'm going to talk about later. That's, like, the same fight. Like, mm-hmm. Felipe Dos Santos is the same dude. Like, this is – we just saw that happen. And Altamirano was standing in there, you know, getting into a war. Then he's like, oh, if I just take him down, I'm going to dominate this guy. Altamirano, I think, a little bit bigger for the division, like, you know, strength-wise. He's 2-2 two and two in the UFC. One of his losses was a split. The other was a decision to Tim Elliott. You can't learn anything from watching people fight Tim Elliott because Tim Elliott doesn't fight like any other human in the history of the world. So, like, just pretend that one didn't happen. And, yeah, Dos Santos looked fine against Cop. He had his moments, but coming in off two decision wins outside of the promotion, one of those is split, you know, not really dominant. The only thing I really want to add that I think Sean didn't touch on is this fight has the longest or the best odds to go to the judges of any mm-hmm. fight on the card. It's the most likely to go to a decision. What I've been talking about all week, Mexican fighter does anything, he's going to get a huge pop that sways the judges. If we expect this to be a stand-up, you know, back-and-forth brawl between two light guys, probably don't hurt each other too bad, those are tough to judge. Even, no matter where they put this fight, if we think it's a decision that's kind of hard to judge. I want the plus 230, plus 240 ticket, no matter where it is. Now we say the underdog is the hometown fighter and is going to have that crowd support. Even better case for that. So, yeah, that's the only thing that Sean didn't really get to that I wanted to include, but totally agree with everything else. One additional thing, too. Uh, all of the Brazilian fighters on this card arrived in Mexico City the week of the fights. And, you know, again, we, <laughs> yeah. we keep teasing that we're going to talk about elevation. Um, but... The fighters who are accustomed to training in Mexico or who train at elevation, uh, they're just going to have an inherent advantage here. And the fighters who didn't come as early, you know, it takes you a few weeks to acclimate to elevation. The Brazilians who got there this week, they're not acclimated. The guys who fight in Mexico, train in Mexico, they're a bit more acclimated. So that is that is a hidden advantage in the line as well. But yeah, like I don't I don't see how you could justify the line and. I think the certified is a very good example for how this might go. And Altamirano live after round one, I think a solid, uh, solid target too. You know, if that line blows out even more, if he gets knocked down, gets back up, still in the fight, he's, he'll work his way back at it. So yeah, Altamirano, a solid live target as well. Okay. Excellent. A consensus underdog. We're back. Uh, let's go to props. How is the prop market this week, Zerillo? How would you look at it overall and what jumps out to you? 
Yeah, so Billy and I are on opposite sides of props for this fight, but I think you could probably play all three together. Uh, but, you know, in terms of the overall prop outlook for this card, I'm probably going to be taking more overs and goes to decisions, probably more overs. Okay. I think a lot of these fights are juiced to end inside the distance due to the elevation. And I think there's a number of fights that I have projected to go to a decision more than 50% of the time that you're getting plus money on. So going to be some unfun sweats, the worst bet in sports. I mean, it legitimately like betting an over on a UFC fight is the most unfun, worst bet in sports. But probably profitable long-term, I'd imagine, because it's so, you know, incredibly uh, discouraging to bet. Uh, but in terms of, you know, the, Billy, the prop that, or the fight that Billy and I targeted from a prop perspective, uh, we just mentioned him, Daniel Lacerda against Edgar Chires, these two also fought previously. And this ended, uh, I think, via submission for Chires, but then it was overturned uh, due to the review officials. It should have been upheld. It was a very odd and awkward stoppage that the referee essentially screwed up. But I don't really see it playing out much differently. Lacerda, in all of his fights, is a danger to finish in round one. And... Chires is very durable and has good submission defense. So I think he weathers that storm. Billy will make a better case for Lacerda in round one, but Chires to me, round two, round three, fairly obvious props in addition to a live bet after round one. Would assume you get a better price. Maybe he finishes the get, this again inside of five minutes. That last fight, though, took place at the apex, and I think putting Lacerda in a bigger cage just sort of extends things out a little bit longer, gets you a couple minutes deeper into the fight. So... I would pick uh, Shirez to finish in round two, but I think this could extend maybe even into round three. His round two prop is about plus 380, plus 375. His highest plus 400. Shop around for the best, best number there. You could find his round three prop between plus 900 and plus 1,000. So Shirez round two, round three, about 0.15 on the round two, and then a tenth of a unit on the round three. Shirez Lacerda, Billy, why the other side? Yeah, so the stoppage in the first one... Um, it was a submission that Chires had put on Lacerda. The ref decided he was unconscious. And then as soon as Chires let go, Lacerda's like, no, I'm not. I'm talking to you right now. All that. I think I've watched this thing like it's the Zapruder flick. Like, flick. I'm trying to catch every <laughs> angle of it. I don't think that choke was on. I think Lacerda could have hung out in there almost indefinitely. It's hard to say. You don't necessarily get the angle you want from the UFC broadcast. But knowing what I do about grappling and seeing the way it was applied, I'm pretty sure one of his arteries was fine. And he was just kind of like waiting it out. Don't waste your energy in there. So that's that's my point on that one. The bigger thing, though, is Lacerda is winning all of his fights right up until he doesn't. And he's 0-4 in the UFC. He has three knockdowns in his last two losses in the UFC. Like, nobody does that. How do you knock down guys three times collectively and then lose both those fights? I just feel like at some point that has to turn around, right? Like, you can't be dominating guys most of the time for so long and then lose forever. There's a reason the UFC has given him another shot despite being 0-4. 0-4 heading into the last one, by the way, that's now a no contest. There's got to be something there. Round one at plus 700, I think some places as high as plus 800. He's got to finish this fight, right? So if he's going to win inside the distance at plus 450, I'm looking at that as well. You know, just mainly because you think maybe an early second round stoppage, he's fresh coming off the stool, that kind of thing. Um, other point I was going to make, though, is Chirez isn't all that good either, right? Like, Chirez is officially he's officially 0-1 in the UFC. Fought Tetsuro Tyra, that's going to happen. But he got in, you know, with a... He lost on the Contender Series to Clayton Carpenter, where he's taken down three times. Lacerda can grapple a little bit. Like, the fight-ending sequence there was because Lacerda took Chires down. It was kind of swinging the momentum back his way. 
I, he's got to know that he needs to just win a fight here. It's like throwing spinning hook kicks and then getting knocked out later is only going to save your job for so long. It's worked so far, but you can't do that forever. I think there's a not zero, non-zero chance that Lacerda comes out and just takes the easy path here. Again, still think he needs to finish. Hostile judging, no cardio. There's a lot of reasons, but yeah. So inside the distance, a plus 450, and then the round one prop, a plus 700. Wish, Sean, though, if we get Chires at plus money <laughs> coming into the second or third round, like, I'm 100% hedging that. So I'm with him on that. But I do think Lacerda's been underrated here. Yeah, I mean, it's just, he's like one of those archetype of fighters that you either have to bet him in round one, or you're waiting to bet his opponent live and taking his opponent's mm-hmm. late props. There's a lot of fighters that sort of follow this uh, style, I guess, or follow that win condition. And you just have to decide, like, what part of that fight you want to be on what side of that fight you mm-hmm. want to be and you have to decide what side of any fight you want to be on right but it's it's a very like it's a very obvious decision to make you're not you're not deciding between money line or this guy's decision prop or the other guy's money line it's it's literally like one guy in round one or you're fading him after round one and live betting against mm-hmm. him and there are it feels like there's at least one fight on every card that kind of has that dynamic so uh I don't, I don't always end up betting the same side of that. It's not like Billy or I are no, always no. betting the guy who we think is going to win in round one and then always live betting against them. You know, we took different approaches here. So curious to see how this plays out. But yeah, if, if you're going to bet Lacerdo, like the way Billy bet him is the way you should bet him. It's just like Hernandez Kapilov last week. Like I thought Kapilov could get the finish, mm-hmm. made my money back on the live bet at the end of round one. That's kind of how we're looking to do this. So you, you take a big swing and hopefully if it doesn't work out, you can kind of get back to zero there. If the big swing works, then you're real happy. So mm-hmm. A lot of these I wouldn't bet if you're not going to be around to live bet it, Mm -hmm. which I'm going to stress extremely hard again in my best bet as we get to that in a minute. Best bets. It's not a best bet, really, not a final bet. It's more of a a best approach uh, from Mm -hmm. Sean Zarillo uh, to take us home here for uh, UFC Mexico. Yeah, you know, as I, as I said, there's a number of totals I'm going to fire on this card. I have other bets for this card, but this is like the best live betting card. Might have been the app. In UFC history. Uh, Salt Lake City. Uh, we've seen two cards in Salt Lake City in the past couple of years. Every fighter melted. I mean, we saw some bad, ugly results, sloppy fights. Salt Lake City is at 4,200 feet of elevation. Ciudad de Mexico is at 7,400 feet of elevation. It is an additional 3,000 feet. It's 2,000 additional feet over Denver, Colorado. If you've ever, I mean, I've been to Breckenridge. Like, I was struggling going up and down steps. Um, I've been to Mexico City. I went to Mexico City six weeks ago. It's not as noticeable as going to a Breckenridge, Colorado, where you actually, like, are above the point where you're feeling elevation sickness. But... Your VO2 max is down by like 12 to 15%. Your actual oxygen is down by like 8 to 12%. There's a noticeable impact. So you should be going into this card circling fighters who you plan to live at after round one. So I'm going to run down the list here of guys I'm targeting. Daniel Zellhuber in the featured bout. He's going against Francisco Prado. Prado is very, very dangerous in round one. I think likely to land something big in round one. Zellhuber, the much better grappler. Much better cardio, much more expertly trained at Extreme Couture. Alex Zell Huber live after round one. Ricky Tercios. Billy's going to talk about Ricky Tercios in a moment. I like Tercios live after round one. I think he's going to get taken down a bunch, be at a big physical disadvantage against his opponent, Raul Rosas. But after round one, Tercios has cardio for days. This guy looks like he could fight for 25 rounds. It's not the most physical guy, not the strongest guy. 
but I think he will be around if this fight goes more than five minutes. Uh, Chris Duncan going against Manuel Torres. Torres, another very aggressive, very dangerous fighter, the much better athlete for five minutes. Duncan is going to manage his gas tank better, trains at ATT, going to come in with a game plan. I like Chris Duncan live after a round. Christian Canones, about 10 years younger, potentially more than Hanoi Barcelos. Barcelos, 37, knocked out brutally two fights back by Umer Nurmagomedov. He's getting up there in age. I think he's still very talented. I think the elevation is going to be a big issue for him here. So the Mexican fighter Canones, live after round against Barcelos. Barcelos, also another one of these Brazilians who arrived the week of the fight. Uh, another Mexican fighter going against Brazilian, Jesus Aguilar, against Mateus Mendoca. Aguilar should just have better cardio. Again, we, we talked about the Brazilians arriving late. Uh, and then finally, Chires against Lacerda. Again, Mexican versus Brazilian. Training at elevation. Arrived late. So all of those angles, mostly on Mexican fighters. I guess the two who aren't are Duncan and then Tercios, I believe, is American. Um, so, yeah, there's there's at least seven live angles I'm targeting on this fight or on this card. Victor Altamirano, I should mention as well, because uh, I had him in there earlier. So, yeah, great card for live betting. The elevation is going to prove extremely crucial in a lot of these fights. I think anyone can appreciate how you led your handicap with how you were in Mexico City six weeks ago. <laughs> yeah. And you <laughs> figured awesome out place. Love it. Could not recommend it enough. You landed the plane. That was good. Uh, <laughs> Billy, you're going to take a simpler approach and give out uh, a fighter on the main card. Yeah. I, so so well, you want to react to that I'm, first? Because that was a whopper. I, I do because that's that's part of my angle here. Okay. So my fighter is Raul Rosas Jr. Sean just talked about live betting his opponent. Do not take this if you are not staying up and live betting after the end of round one on his opponent. This is very much I, I put in here in our sheet here, Raul Rosas is the bet. But it's not a bet. It is a family of bets that includes both Raul Rosas and his opponent live. Both guys are two and one in the UFC. Raul Rosas, you know, two first-round finishes, a dominant first round against Christian Rodriguez, fell off a cliff. That was all at, like, reasonable elevation, right? Ricky Tercios, also 2-1 and one in the UFC. I think he's a little bit overvalued here. I actually really like the matchmaking from the UFC because they found a guy who's 2-1 and one in the UFC. Both of his UFC wins are split decisions, and he was taken down 13 times in his three UFC fights, wow. which when facing a grappler like Raul Rosas, it's like, you could not pick a better opponent to try to make Rosas look really, really good than Ricky Tercios. With all that said, I have zero faith in Rosas' cardio, right? Like, it fell off a cliff against Quinones. He sells out to fight. I tease my jiu-jitsu brethren all the time about only having one round of cardio. And then again, that's like, I'm teasing the guys here in Michigan where we don't have any hills, and they're 7,000 feet above sea level there in Mexico City. So... This line has dropped a lot. I actually, and I'll admit to my uh, negative line value here, took Rosas at minus 260 earlier in the week with this plan already in place. Now it's like as low as minus 225. I saw minus 218 last night. If you can get that, you just got to make sure that you're betting the other side of it. I think the likeliest outcome here is probably Rosas getting the finish early, but I just want to have bigger than plus 225 on Tercios coming back after he just gets dominated in round one. Either way, we make a profit but hopefully Rosas gets it done early. Of course, you could do Rosas inside the distance, Rosas round one, you know, Rosas under one and a half. All those are options too, but could he come out and dominate a second round, go to a decision, whatever? I'd rather just play it safe, attempt to lock in a profit either way if we get a big price on Tercios. 
There's one angle where I wouldn't lie bet Tercios, and that's if Rosas gets a body triangle in round one and doesn't have to work that hard. If he if he slaps on the body triangle and is just holding the back and Easy. doesn't have to really work that hard to hold it, I'm probably okay riding out a Rosas bet at that point. But he he just seems to have poor energy management. I, I don't even know if it's like bad cardio as much as it's bad fight IQ or just bad like I mean just bad management of his gas tank. He just doesn't seem to like know how how often he can go for a takedown before he gasses out. And he's young. He's 19. That'll probably get better with age. His overall skill will get better with age. He's probably continuing to improve. Tercios is 30 years old. We know what he is. So big age differential here. Uh, you know, I, I cite that age differential stat all the time. Yep. There is evidence that um, the the age different, like, it's not an advantage to be 19 going against the 30-year-old. <laughs> right. it's, more, it's more advantageous to be 25 going against the 35-year-old when you're in your physical prime, not when you're, like, coming into your physical prime. So Rosas isn't quite there yet. Uh, I think he's going to keep improving, though, and he's like, he's just so much more physical. He's just going to, you know, run into Terzios and probably bowl him over in the first round, and then after that, we'll see how it goes. To, to the cardio point, like, this this is just what happens to guys who grew up doing sport grappling, do that primarily, and then put on little gloves. Because in jiu-jitsu competitions, no gi, whatever, you're sprinting for a takedown or get to a position, then both guys kind of relax. And you play slow, you get to catch your breath. Roses sprints to that position, right? He gets there, cool. And then there's a guy elbowing him in the head and doing all kinds of stuff, and he's got to react to that. So he just hasn't adapted to that of, like, I can't sprint, rest, sprint, rest, because I don't get that rest. So you need to kind of adapt that and he's 19 he'll figure it out but that's just a common again i joke about it like i do jujitsu all the time those are my people but it's a real thing just the nature of the sports being what they are and he, you know we went head to head on the christian rodriguez fight like in hindsight like oh christian rodriguez is a bad bet but he lost that first round you know you could have gotten yeah. a better price on rodriguez live after round one so rosas in round one is very very tough uh but after that once the cardio goes like yeah i think tercios will work his way back in 30-year-old Tercios and 19-year-old Rosas, a, fam- a family of bets. That is a that is a great line from Billy Ward. All right, gents, great work. Uh, if you haven't figured this out already, be sure to find Zarillo and Billy Ward in the Action app. Be sure to follow them uh, because of these live betting uh, angles that are, in all likelihood, going to be available on this card for UFC Mexico. That concludes our betting preview for UFC Mexico here on the Action Network podcast. We are presented by our friends at BetMGM. Again, download the free award-winning Action Network app to follow these guys as well as their picks as the night unfolds. Thanks for listening, everybody. Brendan Glasheen signing off. Best of luck with all your picks this weekend, and we'll see you next time on the Action Network podcast presented by BetMGM. South of the border, down Mexico way. That's where I fell in love When the stars above came out to play And now as I wander My thoughts ever stray South of the border Down Mexico way Action Network reminds you, please gamble responsibly. If you or someone you care about has a gambling problem, help is available 24-7 at 1-800-GAMBLER.